from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hey, welcome to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. Well, coming up today, members of Congress joined with thousands of others, both in person and online, for the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance at the National Museum of the Bible here in Washington, D.C. These House members and, and senators represent many more who, who work and serve here and join together in prayer for Bible study and encourage one another. If anybody asks you if there's any salt and light left in Washington, you tell them there is. That was House Speaker Mike Johnson at the gathering this morning. I'll share more about the event a little bit later. The House of Representatives is moving closer to impeaching Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. Secretary Mayorkas's actions have forced our hand. We cannot allow this border crisis to continue. We cannot allow fentanyl to flood across our border, our criminals to waltz in undeterred. And we cannot allow a cabinet secretary with no regard for the separation of powers or the rule of law to remain in office. That is why today we present this committee with the articles of impeachment against Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. That was the chairman of Homeland Security Committee, Tennessee Congressman Mark Green. Uh, last night in the committee hearing, they advanced two articles of impeachment. We're going to talk about that as we get an update from Capitol Hill from Alabama Congressman Gary Palmer, who, by the way, was also a part of the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance this morning. And a shocking and disur- disturbing report out of Montana on how aggressive transgender activists have become, actually stripping parents of custody for refusing to aid minor children in trans- transitioning. Now, I have to ask the question, is this an anomaly or a growing threat to parental rights across the nation? FRC's Meg Kilgannon will join me later for that conversation. And a new report from the Family Research Council reveals increasing intolerance toward public and private expressions of biblical viewpoints that contradict progressive secular values. Now, the report's author, Ariel Del Turco, joins me here in studio to discuss what is driving this growing intolerance toward Bible-believing Christians. And last week, the International Court of Justice ordered Israel to end atrocities in Gaza. Now, other Hamas sympathizers like Michigan Congresswoman Rashid Tlaib continue to seek to isolate Israel. The Biden administration hasn't bothered to conduct a formal review of the Israeli government's compliance with international law since the genocide in Gaza began. The level of support for Netanyahu's war crimes by the Biden administration and the majority of this body is beyond belief, especially especially when the majority of the American people want the war crimes to end. Will the international pressure calls Israel to back off of their mission to eliminate the threat from Hamas. We're actually going to talk with a member of the Israeli Knesset. Ohad Talital will be here uh, with us uh, in studio. Our word for today comes from Job chapter 34, where Elihu provides a nugget of wisdom for Job and for us. For has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Now, convinced that he had done nothing wrong, Job was asking God, why? Why is this happening to me? Well, the right question should have been what? Lord, what are you trying to show me? Lord, what are you doing in my life? Lord, what do you want me to know? Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, there there will always be valleys in this life, and some of them may be the valleys of the shadow of death where we are alone and it appears that God does not hear us. We may be tempted to ask why. Why, Lord? Why me? But the question we should ask, what? 
What would you have me to learn, Lord? To join us on our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, last night, following a 13-hour hearing, the House Homeland Security Committee approved two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The articles accused Mayorkas of repeatedly violating laws enacted by Congress regarding immigration and border security and of making false statements to Congress when he claimed that the border is secure and DHS remains in operational control of the border. Now, the articles now move to the House floor for a vote, possibly as soon as next week. Now, this comes as a Senate border security deal, though not yet finalized, could already be uh, dead on arrival in the Republican-controlled House. Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Gary Palmer. He serves on the House Republican Policy Committee, where he is the chairman, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability, and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Alabama. Congressman Palmer, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on, Tony. It was great to see you this morning. Well, before we get to the border discussion, I, I, you were there. You uh, you prayed and, and shared uh, a, a, actually a very interesting article uh, this morning. Your, your reaction to this morning's gathering for prayer. Um, I was talking with some of my colleagues on the floor a little while ago while we were voting about how impactful that was and how sincere the prayers were, and and one of them commented that the focus was exactly what it ought to be, and that's repentance. And so I'm just praying that the church is going to step up, that people are going to realize that that we have become no longer a nation under God, but a godless nation, and it's got to change. And there's there's no, Tony, you and I have known each other for years, and we've known all these years uh, that there's no legislative solution for what our country desperately needs. It's, it's got to be spiritual. You referenced an issue um, of Time magazine from February of 1954. Uh, t- tell us why. Well, it was the second national prayer breakfast, and the speaker that morning was uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, uh, the very justice who presided over the court that struck down Bible reading in schools and, and prayer in schools. And he started off, he said, no one can read the history of our, our country, he said, without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior were its guiding geniuses. And he said, you know, you could look at, at any of the uh, charters of, of the early colonies and see that. And he believed the entire Bill of Rights came about because of our forefathers' knowledge of the Bible and their belief in it. And, and he hit the very things that, that we're all about, individual dignity, uh, you know, religious our, our right to practice our religion. But he concluded by saying that I like to believe that we live in the spirit of the Christian religion. And he said, if we continue to do so, no great harm can come to our country. I first came across this article in 1991 or 92 when I was uh, heading up the Alabama Family Alliance, uh, working with Focus on the Family and Family Research Council at that time. And uh, I was in a meeting, and the guy handed it to me, and I read it. and and it was, I was out of uh, town. I was on the drive back. All I could think about was where was the church? So here we are 70 years later, how far we have fallen, Tony. And, but I, I really believe that events like we had this morning can be the launching point for the turnaround, for the church to stand up, for godly men and women to take leadership uh, uh, as a key responsibility of being a, a, a Christian in this culture. 
Right. And it's I really believe it's the only way we're going to turn it around. Well, and there's a connection between what you're wrestling with right now in the House chamber, where we're a number of pressing issues. I was actually on the Hill a little bit earlier that this afternoon, meeting with the House Speaker. And we, this mess did not happen overnight, but it's a reflection of the fact that we've lost our, our way and our understanding of truth. And so if we want to solve these problems, it'd be best to find out where we departed from that path of truth and go back and get on that path. Absolutely. And um, I've, I've spent part of my time on the floor just a few minutes ago inviting members to come to our Bible study in the morning. Uh, there are a lot of Bible studies. There are a lot of Christians in Congress. And that surprises people, which is somewhat disheartening in and of itself that they're surprised that there are so many Christians here. But we need more. We don't have enough. And uh, that pastor from California who said that there are more evangelicals live in California than any other state, including Texas, but they don't vote. And, uh, you know, when people talk about the possibility of an election being stolen, when you don't show up, it's right. easy to steal. Them. Right. That's right. So we need the church to step up. We need the pastors to step up, have boldness and courage. That's absolutely right. And, and, you know, we can complain about the, the manipulation or the, the, the fraud that may occur. But if we were overwhelming them at the ballot box because we all showed up to vote, we could swamp their deception. Uh, I, I, want, I, want, I want to move on to a couple of issues that you're going to be dealing with. The uh, impeachment against uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, that passed out of committee last night. Why was this move necessary and what will be the next step? Well, first of all, he committed a felony. He perjured himself in testimony before Congress multiple times. And uh, I, I think he's also failed to uphold his responsibilities, his sworn duty to faithfully enforce the laws of, of the nation. And I've been to the border multiple times. And uh, literally my last trip, uh, when 64 Republicans went down to the border the first week of January, I broke away from the main group because I knew that the Border Patrol agents and local law enforcement would talk to me individually and say things that they wouldn't say to the group. While I was standing there, uh, probably two, three hundred yards from the main group. As soon as they got to the uh, to the riverbank, there were a group of men came out from under the riverbank, waded across this little canal, came up the, the bank right where I was standing, and I, I was taking photographs of them. They're all uh, young adult males uh, from Venezuela and Honduras. And uh, the, the, to, for Mayorkas to say to the American people, much less to, to Congress under oath, uh, with the threat of perjury that the border secure is right. I mean, how, how can you even make such a statement when you've got record numbers pouring across the border? It, 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 it's just it's a flat out lie to say they have operational control unless their definition of operational control is throwing open the door to anybody who wants to come into the country, regardless of whether or not they pose a threat to us or not. Well, think about this. They've thrown open the door. They bring these people who come in and they, they turn themselves into the Border Patrol. They're, they're processed. They're, they're given health care checkups, given cell phones. They'll, they'll transport them wherever they want to go. But think about the 1.7 gotaways. Right. When, when they know they can come in and turn themselves into uh, the Border Patrol, but they choose not to. And one of the things I found out is the cartels charge them more than they do the ones who turn themselves into the Border Patrol. 
And that, that's the thing that should frighten every American. We know we've, we've interdicted 312 known or suspected terrorists or on the terrorist watch list, but we have no idea uh, who came across in that one point, right. uh, six, 1.7 million gotaways. Uh, Congressman Palmer, final question for you. We're up against a break here, but razor thin margins in the House, one seat, functional majority. Will this impeachment get through the House? I, I don't know. Uh, I think there's one or two that have a problem with it. Uh, I know the speaker is, is uh, working the, uh, the vote. Uh, we all are. It, uh, we'll just have to see. That's another thing that people can put on their prayer list, is we need to hold the majority. We need to expand our majority, uh, get the Senate, get a Republican in the White House, and, and have and for God to give us one more chance to get the country back on the right track. And it's going to require some unity to get that done. Congressman Gary Palmer, always great to see you. Thank you for joining us, and thanks for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Thanks for having me on, Tony, and for what you do. I appreciate it. Gary Palmer from Alabama. Hey, the prayer effort continues. In fact, uh, today we're launching 21 Days of Prayer, building off of today's prayer event. And if you'd like to join that effort We've got a prayer guide. Just text the word PRAY21. That's P-R-A-Y-2-1. PRAY21 to 67742. And uh, we'll sign you up to be a part of this 21 Days of Prayer. All right, coming up next, did Child Protective Services officials in Montana kidnap a teenager because her parents refused to go along with her gender confusion? Meg Kilgannon. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. Uh, the website, TonyPerkins.com. And as I mentioned, if you'd like to be a part of the prayer effort going forward, 21 days of prayer, text PRAY21 to 67742. Also, if you missed today's event, which was just remarkable, uh, it was all prayer. It was just people praying, um, like 130 people praying. A lot of people praying. We had a four, about five hours worth of prayer um, it's going to be posted later. You can see it uh, at TonyPerkins.com. I'll we'll link up there. Well, speaking of prayer, uh, you know, as a parent, I'm very, very sensitive to these issues. And in the state of Montana, which is actually a conservative state, and, and the governor there is a, a good governor, uh, Greg Giafonte, Giafonte who is a, is a friend. Um, so there, there's a situation that's developed there. Family has accused the state's Child and Family Services Office of removing their teenage daughter from their home, saying uh, they say the kid, they were, the child was kidnapped, uh, as a 14-year-old, after their daughter wanted to identify as a boy. Now, the governor is saying his office has investigated the parent's claim and found the Department of Health and Human Services followed both internal procedures and the law. Now, there's also some more information that's come out even as of this afternoon. Now, I, I should note that Montana is one of more than 20 states that have a law protecting children and prohibiting gender procedures for minors. So a, a sad story of a family torn apart. But what do we know about the parents' allegations and how great of a threat is this to parental rights across the nation? Joining me now to discuss this, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. Okay. Um, you know, just like everything, there's always two sides to, to every story. Sure. Um, but when you have evidence that your child has been transitioned to, uh, you know, the, the, the sex that they are not, uh-huh. there's obviously something going on here. What do we know about this case in Montana? What we know about this case in Montana is these parents are very upset that their child has been removed from their custody and been allowed to proceed with a social transition. All right. Let me establish something. There was no um, abuse. There was no allegations of abuse or anything. It's all centered around refusal to acknowledge a, a girl wanting to transition to a boy. That seems to be the case. That seems to be what's happened. I mean, we can't know for sure, right? But that, it, according to the parents, that is the case. That was the grounds that caused their child to be removed from their care. And so from their custody, let alone their care. Um, the, the, the hinge here seems to be the difference between medical procedures 
and social transition. Right, because so, in Montana, the surgical drugs and such are not allowed. Those are illegal. But allowing her to change her name and change her pronouns, uh, she's been allowed to shave her head since she's been in foster care. Those things are allowed to proceed. And we need it, to... It, it, let me clarify that for a moment, because the parents objected to it. Yes. But we're told, well, this is a gray area in law. That's only the physical. We can do the social transition. Correct. Transitioning. And it okay. seems, according to some accounts that I've read that the that the stepmom has reported, they have been just fought at every turn and undermined at every turn by the people that are supposed to be providing care for their daughter, mm-hmm. by these these outside people taking the side of the child over this over over reinforcing the rights of the parents and following the directives of the parents when it comes to their minor child. This is terribly destabilizing. I mean, their family will likely never be the same as a result of this in, of this whole situation. Oh, I get traumatized. So this is the the damage that is happening here is something that is very real, and it is it's not just a gray area, right? right. These are interventions, as you know. My colleague Jennifer Bowens would say, these are interventions. They are treatments, even though they don't involve quote-unquote medical procedures like surgery or drugs, when you're changing a child's name, that is a form of a therapy. Right. And so it, it shouldn't be a gray area under the law. These are therapies. Because it's leading to the same path, the same outcome. Yes. It's actually setting the stage for the irreversible surgeries and, and drug treatments. Absolutely. And, I mean, if you, if you pre- pretend that you're a boy for six months, you don't get to go back to those six months January to June and be a girl again, right? right? You've been a boy. You've been pretending. You don't get that time back either. So it is irreversible, a social transition. You don't have to persist in it. So Meg Kilgannon, some would say, well, all right, so you got a case up in Montana. You know, all right, big deal. So um, it's not a threat to me. No, it is a threat to you because I I feel like a lot of folks that are living in conservative states or states with good conservative governors. Like Montana. Like Montana. They feel a sense of, of protection. They feel uh, uh, like, like this isn't going to happen on their watch. It's not going to happen in their state. They live with, sane, with the same people, you know, whatever you want to think. But the fact is that you're, you're not safe. You're actually a target. You're going, your family and your state is going to be targeted for these kind of interventions because that's how the left works. Right. They're always doing the, the work, right, right. as we've they seen love that, to we've say. We've seen that over the last... 15 years, they don't try to turn purple states blue. They go to red states. Exactly. Because no one's expecting them. That's right. And, you know, parents who are trying to do the best they can for their children who are law-abiding, rule-following kinds of parents are the kind of parents who are going to go along with, with Child Protective Services and try to try to, to work with the process because right. they trust the process. So this should be a wake-up call for governors in red states, legislators in red states, because I, I, I've worked with child protection agencies, mm-hmm. and I know that they tend to uh, lean heavy to the left. Uh, sure. My wife is an MSW. She has her master's in social work. She worked in that area. Um, and very few Christians who respect parental rights are there. So 
lawmakers and governors need to really focus on these areas, given the hostility and the aggressiveness of this agenda from the transgender activist. Absolutely. This is an area for lots of government regulation, right? This isn't an area where, as a conservative, you want to be hands-off. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that people are not abusing the power that they have over vulnerable. Over the vulnerable. The, the, one of the most sacred relationships is between a child and a parent. Yes. And, and that should not be breached except as a last resort. And it is, it, In I mean, it's... dire of circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just as the founders were adamant about property rights in the family, of course, they didn't even entertain the idea of the breach of that relationship between the child and the parent that we see happen. Uh, unfortunately, Meg, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thank You're you. You're always a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Not always good news, but a wealth of knowledge. There is hope. But that's what we're going to pray. Pray 21 67742. All right, folks, don't go away. We're coming back with more on the other side of this break. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. You know, we talk about all of these issues, and it can become kind of discouraging and alarming. But as I shared this morning, you know, Jesus in, uh, in Luke 18, he said, men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And so we need to know what's going on, but we also need to know where we can go for answers, and we need to pray through these things. And that's one of the reasons that we focus a lot here at the Family Research Council on the Word of God and prayer. And so I invite you to join us in this 21 days of prayer. 
kind of springboarding off of this national gathering for prayer and repentance that took place today. So you can join us, Pray 21. Text that to 67742-PRAY21. In recent years, we've seen a disturbing rise in violations of religious freedom against Christians in particular worldwide. I, I saw this when I was chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And a lot of this is happening at the hands of Western governments. Now, this week, the Family Research Council Center for Religious Liberty published an update to its report, Free to Believe. Now, this intensifying intolerance toward Christians in the West, uh, which identifies and covers 168 specific incidents across 16 Western countries throughout the past four years. The report shows how Western governments, which really ought to be the standard bearers for upholding freedom of religion and expression, frequently undermine the fundamental human right to religious freedom. Joining me now to discuss this is the author of the report, Ariel Del Turco, and uh, she is the director of our Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council. Ariel, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into this report, uh, you, along with some others from the Family Research Council, have been participating in the International Religious Freedom Summit for the past couple of days. In fact, you moderated a, a panel on religious freedom violations in Western democracies, something you know a little bit about. Yeah, yeah, it was a good event, uh, and it's especially good that we were able to highlight this issue on the panel. Uh, in settings where we talk about international religious freedom, people often think about the worst cases, right. uh, the worst case scenarios in China and Iran where people are imprisoned or, or killed in Nigeria. Uh, but we would be remiss to ignore what's happening in the West because it not only affects us and religious freedom violations against us in the West are important, uh, but it also affects our ability to advocate for those around the world. Uh, if there's no religious freedom in the West, there's no one to speak up for the persecuted. Well, I mean, we should be surprised that we see growing hostilities in countries like North Korea, China, Nigeria, when we're neglecting it here in the West in the West, where we had long been kind of the champions of religious freedom. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, and the Biden administration has just totally uh, neglected religious freedom, obviously domestically, but even as an international issue. Uh, there are persecuted reaching out for help uh, for the Biden administration to advocate on their behalf, uh, and they really hear silence in response. So it's sad to see uh, we need to be raising awareness about this. Let's talk um, about the report, 168 uh, violations. And it is not exhaustive. It's just some of those that uh, just making the point. A lot of people recognize a lot of violations during COVID. But unfortunately, it looks like the trends continue even though COVID is gone. Yeah. So under COVID, uh, it really gave governments an excuse to use their power to, to squeeze churches. Uh, it gave uh, bad political leaders an excuse to go after uh, Christians for whatever reason. Uh, but now we're seeing not COVID being an issue, but uh, censorship and attacks on free speech being the primary issue where we're seeing Western governments specifically go after Christians and violate their religious freedom. Is there kind of a hub of issue? I mean, is there one particular area that we see this bringing forth from? Yeah. Well, you might not be surprised, Tony, but it's just about every issue that we care about at Family Research Council. Uh, the core issues are going to be homosexuality, speaking out against gay marriage, uh, speaking out against transgenderism. We've seen even in the United States teachers fired for uh, refusing to 
to use preferred pronouns for students, uh, and also on abortion. We've seen in the United Kingdom uh, people silently praying outside of abortion facilities, silently in their own head, not holding anything, uh, and the police come and ask them what they're doing, and the police will ask them, are you praying? Uh, and if you respond in my head maybe, which one woman, Isabel Von Spruce did, she was arrested for that. So we do see around That's these hot- amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it is these hot button cultural issues uh, where when Christians go against the secular orthodoxy, they're gonna get punished. So what was the response today as you chaired this panel, moderated this yeah. panel, on the, the, the growing list of violations in these Western democracies? You know, I think this is one of the most well-received panels I've been a part of, Tony, and I really think that's because the audience is hungry for this. Uh, a lot of these people are earth advocates, international religious freedom advocates. They know what's going on around the world, but they also see what's happening at home in the United States. They see what's happening in the West, and I think they're very concerned. So final question for you, uh, Ariel. Do, do we see growing um, presence of a pushback where, where people are saying, you know what, I know we've, we've, we've seen this, this growing hostility, but this is so fundamental, we have to stand against it. Yeah, we do, and, and you want to encourage that as well. Uh, I interviewed on the panel today one gentleman who was fired from his job teaching at a Christian college uh, for a tweet um, talking about how homosexuality should not be accepted in the church. This is obvious. Uh, we see it in scripture. We see it in church history. But even for saying that, he was fired. Uh, but he was still thankful for the pushback that uh, American Christians and Christians across the West did. Like, he was fired for a tweet, and in response, they started a Twitter campaign uh, to support him. Well, and, and we got to do what we can with what we have. Ariel? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Good job. All right, folks, you can check out the report at TonyPerkins.com under the episode resources. All right, coming up next, we're going to be joined by a member of the Israeli Knesset here at Washington Watch. Don't go away. We'll be back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. 
Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. All right, welcome back. Good to have you with us for this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. And uh, as I mentioned, if you would like to join us in the ongoing effort to pray for our nation, we've got uh, 21 days of prayer lined up with a prayer guide, and you can get a copy of that prayer guide. Just text the word PRAY21 to 67742. And it, it dovetails with today's National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance. And in today's events, we actually included a portion of the program that was devoted to a look at Israel, along with prayer for Israel and its people as they respond to the October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas. Now, in addition to the reflection on the biblical significance of the red heifers, we looked at that. Uh, It was very interesting. And in fact, if you get a chance, you can go back. We'll have it posted later. Um, We also heard a report on the hostages held by Hamas for months now and how Christians can stand with the people of Israel. Join me now to give us the latest on the situation there in Israel is Ohad Tal. He is a member of the Israeli Knesset uh, for the Religious Zionist Party, and he came today to be a part of the National Day of Prayer and Repentance. Uh, Welcome. Thank you, Tony. Ohad, good to have you with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming all the way from Israel and, and being a part of the prayer event today. You were there for the whole thing, and you actually shared... Uh, about the situation with the the hostages. And, and I guess we could just start right there. W- what is the status in terms of all of the individuals that were abducted? How many have returned home? How many are we still working? Because even in the news today, there's talk about a, a pause in mm-hmm. the uh, engagement in order to try to negotiate the release of more of these hostages. Yeah, so first of all, we have to understand that on October 7th, Something unbelievable happened in Israel. Something that we, it's really beyond imagination. I mean, Hamas fighters, but not only them, actually, because it was also Islamic Jihad, and random Gazans who came into Israel, penetrated into the kibbutzim, into the villages around Gaza, and basically butchered 1,200 
Israelis, kids in their beds, they raped women, they beheaded babies, they slaughtered parents in front of their kids and took 240 of them into Gaza. I told one of the stories about the family called Yahalomi, about the father, his name is Oha, just like my name. He was taken with his whole family, his wife, Batsheva, and their three kids into Gaza. The wife, Batsheva, and two kids succeeded to escape because they took them on motorbikes. So the wife succeeded to escape, and, and she saw, I mean, she took three kids with her, but one of the terrorists didn't give up and took from her hands one of her kids into Gaza. Now, just really try, try to imagine a mother that sees her husband and her son being taken away, brutally taken away from her to the unknown, to the, to the terror nest of Gaza. So this is really the atrocity that happened on that day is, is, is really unprecedented in human history. And, and currently there are 136 hostages still held in the hands of Hamas. I mean, we released some of them from the 240, but 136 are still there in the hands of Hamas until this moment. Among them, babies. Babies. I spoke about one of the one of the babies who, who was kidnapped when he was only nine months, and now he celebrated a year in captivity. I mean, this is these are things which really are beyond imagination. Israel has said the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that the threat by Hamas must be eliminated, and of course the international <coughs> community. We're seeing last week the international court speaking out, saying that uh, Israel must back off. Um, you, you're getting that from just the four corners of the right, earth. Right. The hypocrisy. The hypocrisy when, when, when everyone is dealing with Israel is just unbelievable. I mean, basically what the court is trying to say is that Israel doesn't have the basic right to defend itself. This is what they're saying. Right. Because, I mean, we didn't initiate anything with Hamas. Just to remind everyone, we withdraw from the Gaza Strip completely I in 2005. And then in 2007, Hamas took over. Exactly. Self-governing. Exactly, exactly. And so I, mean, I, I want to stop for that just a moment because we're hearing now that one of the solutions here is a two-state solution. I mean, isn't that essentially what we had there? I mean, they, they had operational control of Gaza. You know... Telling Hamas after the atrocities of October 7th that what they will get is a fully functioning state from the hands of America, basically, is telling them that the, the path of terror, this is the right path to go. Right. This is the right path because it's worth it. This is what we're telling them. Right. And I think it's a, it's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake, not just for Israel. It's a huge mistake for, for, the, for the world. For the world, exactly. Because exactly. you do not reward that type of behavior. Right. For, first off, I mean, just the whole idea that, that, that a two-state solution would work. My point was Gaza, essentially, they had control. That was their area. Right. But look what they've been spending. Exactly. You know, exactly. since 2007, they've been exactly. building these tunnels. They've been, right. de they've been developing this infrastructure for terrorism. And we've made mistakes about that. Because also in Israel, many people thought that, you know, if we will improve their economy, if we will allow Palestinians to come to Israel to work, to earn decent money, that will take away their desire to destroy us, 
that will create a better uh, 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 feeling that we are neighbors. But it didn't turn well, out. But we, the great society here in the United States taught us that. Now, there, there's certainly uh, an argument to be made because there are parts of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, I don't know it as well as you do, but I've been there quite a few times. But over in areas um, in, in, in eastern Israel, also known as the West Bank, uh, you have Israelis, you have Jews and uh, Palestinians working and living together, and, and the, uh, the Palestinians like the, the work that they have. But they're not infected with the, 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 the terrorist ideology of Hamas like we've seen in Gaza. So, so it's really going to the head of the snake, which is th- this ideology being pushed forward by these terrorist groups. So I must say a couple of things about what you've asked. First of all, just about the terminology. I don't. I reject the terminology calling it the West Bank because this is not I the agree. West Bank. This is it's this Eastern. Is, it's Eastern Israel. Is, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's Judea. Judea it's Judea the heart of and the Samaria. Bible. Exactly. Exactly. This is the land of the Bible. This is Judea and Samaria, and the term that is being used as the West Bank is basically because it's much easier to explain why we can take away the Jews from the West Bank. I, I, agreed. Than to take the Jews from Judea. That's, this is why right. some people are using this term, terminology, and I think it's important for everyone to, to go back to the roots and to use the right terminology to call the land the way, the way it is, the way the, the Bible is calling this piece of land, and this is Judea uh, where, where Shiloh is right there in the heart exactly. of that, where, where the tabernacle was for 369 years. Right. And about the fact that the Arabs of Judea and Samaria do not share the same ideology like Hamas, we, it turned out that that's another misconception because it was proven even now after the October 7 atrocities massacre now and it a poll that was made not by not by Israel by a doctor of one of the universities of 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 Judea and Samaria, of, of the Palestinian uh, Dr. Shkaki and it turned out that about 80% of the people of the Arabs of Judea and Samaria today supporting and justifying the massacre of October 7th and supporting Hamas, about 80%. 80% is not something you can ignore. Right. It means that most of them supporting the terror, they believe that their way to go through is with terror. And we cannot uh, give any, uh, uh, cannot strength that. Well, I mean, even today, the, uh, our State Department reiterating its support for a two-state solution. Yeah. Well, I believe that's a grave mistake, and I think it's a mistake that if, God forbid, we will, uh, the Israeli government will, will follow with, with this uh, policy, that can have a un- bad impact about the whole, the entire world, because yeah. again, with, in, in the Middle East, everything is, is very simple, very simple. I mean, we're not that sophisticated. If, if you're weak, we will come and bite you. This is how it goes. And if they see that the terror works... Yeah. And, and it worked. I mean, and, and, and you have to remember, Yechia Sinwar succeeded to do something that all the Arab armies didn't succeed to do in 75 years. They tried. They didn't succeed. He did it in one day. And he, f- he will get a state at the end of it. It means right, they it was do. worth it. Yeah. And radicalism because of it will raise its head all over the world. You can already see it begins in Europe. You can already see. They're telling to the Christians in, 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 in Europe. Uh, we want to apply Sharia rules here in your countries. You are our slaves. This is how they treat Christians in Europe today. 
This is what we want to see in America. This is what we want to see in the entire Western civilization, because this is what will happen. Go ahead. Let me, let me move to where things stand right now, because we're talking about Gaza. We're talking about the as Israel moves to neutralize this threat by Hamas. And, and by the way, to, to complete uh, candor here, I, I agree with you. I, I do not think a two-state solution works. First off, it's the, the, the land was, we believe, as, a Christ, as Christians, that this land was given to the Jews, and it's theirs. Uh, and, and the United States should not do anything to force them to give up any of that land. We think that's wrong, and we'll pay a price for that. Where are we operationally when it comes to Gaza? How much control does, does the IDF have over Gaza? So first of all, we have to understand that the war in Gaza is very complicated because it's not, Gaza is, it's not so small as people maybe tend to think. And it's not just what's above ground. We discovered, which, by the way, we didn't know how, how enormous that is, but we dif- discovered that underground there is unbelievable amount of uh, tunnels and, 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 and facilities, which is really, again, beyond imagination. It's miles and miles, thousands of miles of, of tunnels that all made for terror. This is what they have there. And it's not so easy to get into these tunnels. And until now, we've destroyed about 20, 20% of the tunnels. And from the 40,000 fighters Hamas and Islamic Jihad has, we only killed about 10,000, about 10, which means about, about a quarter. And this is after four months of fighting. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and it takes time. And we have to have patience. And I think also the administration here in America has to have patience and understand that it takes time. Does that infrastructure for terrorism, does that have to be totally destroyed? If we don't want them to, I mean, you know, my parents lived in Sderot. Sderot is a city next to Gaza, which for 20 years is being bombed from Gaza. 20 years, rockets are being fired at this city time and time again, almost every single day. So if we don't want that to happen again, we have to make sure that all this infrastructure has been destroyed, for sure. That's the only way to do it. You talked about the the, the tunnels that are underneath and how this is used for terrorism. A lot of uh, international pressure about the civilian casualties. Um, But as you said, it's not so clear-cut because they... Are they not using civilians, hospitals, schools as cover for their terrorist operation? So, you know... First of all, about the term uh, uh, casualties, civilian casualties. I mean, you know, each home that you'll go through in Gaza, you will find that in their textbooks, how do they learn math? You know how? The question is, if I killed three Jews and you slaughtered four Jews, how many Jews did we slaughter altogether? Every home, almost every home, has uh, 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 pictures of babies holding rifles and, 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 and Kalachnikov and, and pictures of dead Jews. Uh, uh, holding, they're holding books of my Kampf, of Adolf Hitler. So saying, and, and again, we've seen this, the, the poll that was made in Judea and Samaria and in Gaza in the day after the, the October 7th atrocities, and 80% are supporting Hamas and supporting the massacres. So even the term is not correct. There are no, there are almost no 
civilians who are innocent in Gaza. This is part of their culture, and I know, I know it's hard to, 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 to realize it, but this is well, but unfortunately the, the reality. That culture has been facilitated in many ways by the United Nations and the Relief Works Agency. Right. We discovered that UNRWA, which is, by the way, the only, I mean, there's an there's a agency for refugees all over the world, and there's a special refugee uh, 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 organization for, just, for just for the Palestinians, right. which exists for how many, I don't know how many uh, years, and hasn't settled even one refugee in so many years. Which means the whole purpose of this organization is not to solve the problem for the Palestinians. It's to keep it as a problem in order to hurt Israel. That's the only purpose. And, of and it. this is what drives me crazy here in the United States is that we are the, one of the largest funders, if not the largest funder right. of UNRWA and the United Nations. And they're working against our very ally who we want to help and support. And we've seen, I mean, in the tunnels, we are seeing uh, packages of UNRWA. We're seeing UNRWA uh, 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 workers who, 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 who were part of the massacre of October 7th. Right. It, it was all there. So your dollars basically goes to pay the salary exactly. of those people. Well, Had, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. much. Thank you very much for having me. Great to meet you. All right, folks, uh, we're out of time for today. But I want to thank you for joining us as well. Text the word PRAY21 to 67742 to join us at 21 Days of Prayer. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, you've done everything you can do. You've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.